Welcome to Sales Enabled, the podcast for salespeople, sales leaders, and sales enablers everywhere who are committed to making the sales profession better for everyone involved. Hey everybody, in episode 19, I'm speaking with Chris Beal from Connect and Sell on the topic of cold calling, outreach, and why the traditional model of SDRs trying to research clients to book meetings might be wrong. Typically, SDRs waste tons of time researching prospects that never pick up the phone, which Chris believes is crazy. Instead, he teaches people how to push the research until after the cold call so you know you're investing your time wisely. This requires SDRs to be able to book meetings without the use of research, and his data shows that this is done by rapidly building trust, creating a sense of curiosity, and then booking an appointment for a meeting that has a ton of value in it for the prospect. Chris has so much experience in the sales space and brings his lessons to life with some amazing stories, which makes this podcast one of the most engaging sessions yet. So let's jump straight into the show. Chris, great to see you again, my friend. Uh, I can see you. you, It looks like you're on the road. Where in the world are you today and and what are you doing there? Yeah, Dan, I'm in uh, San Francisco. I can look out and see airplanes going back and forth here at the airport, which always impresses me. We should be more impressed with jet airliners. I mean... You know, think about it, right? People used to write about like, you know, flying dragons and stuff. And everybody goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. These things are bigger and wilder than flying dragons. I mean, they have fire coming out of their back. They go places you can't believe. And we all just all kind of go, oh, yeah, jet airliner. Yeah, I get on one of those and go 2,000 miles in, you know, three hours and everything's good. So uh, well, I think we should be more impressed by them. Where, where I live, I live out in the, in the sticks in Gloucester in England. Um, one of the the favorite things my daughter likes to do, she's three years old, is go and see the airplanes, right? So we have a little mini air, airfield down the road. Um, she loves going on airplanes, but we actually have a jet museum. One of the first uh, jet engines was attached to a Gloucester airplane. And uh, yeah, apparently there's a, a whole museum about it. So we regularly go there and wander around and see all these massive jets. And so it's quite cool. There you go. Random fact. So enjoy, enjoy the airplane spotting. Um, I can see there's an airplane on the T-shirt for listeners. There's a, a flight school thing here, so we're probably going to get into that. But it seems like airplanes are going to be a theme. But today, Chris, I think you're going to turn the world upside down for me a little bit. So, uh, And the reason I say that is often you know, I've been working with SDRs for a very long time, and, and, and we talk about preparation, getting ready for calls, um, doing the research, trying to figure out all of the things we can talk about with our prospect. But I believe you've got a different approach. You you see things in a very different way. Would that be fair? Yeah, I, I think I do. Um, the SDR revolution came out of a, a sort of obvious idea, which is specialization. Right? So the idea is, hey, finding prospects and getting kind of getting going with them is something that's that could be specialized. Aaron Ross made it very popular in his book, Predictable Revenue. Actually, I don't think that book is possible to tease apart from the fact that Salesforce.com, which was kind of the subject of the book, had such an amazing revolutionary product. And I was there, I mean, not at Salesforce, but I was one of their early customers. That it's, it's not quite obvious that how they sold it made any difference, actually. Not, not for a while. I mean, you know, you had your million dollar Oracle CRM implementation, and then you had something your group could use for free for a month. Uh, which one's going to win? So, but anyway, uh, it was an obvious idea that Aaron described extremely well in a very engaging book, and it's taken a life of its own and turned into something I think is very strange, which is uh, you have a bunch of researchers who are going to go find your, your target market and then try to engage them. 
it's what I think is strange about that is twofold. One is your target market belongs to the company, not individual sales reps. And the mm -hmm. idea that a bunch of 24, 25 year olds are going to somehow like divine your target market and then uh, understand whether it's resonating with them while they're trying to reinvent sales from scratch as kind of kids seems a little bit odd to me. I mean, it's such an important mm -hmm. thing. Your target market is your strategy. When you reduce it to a list, you actually have an executable strategy. So why do you turn over making an executable strategy to a bunch of people with no business experience? So that seems a little odd to me. The other part that seems odd to me is lots of research on people you're never going to speak with. So mm -hmm. in a manufacturing system, we'd say that's really strange, right? What do you do? Yeah. Well, we do a huge amount of prep on material that comes to the factory floor. And we, you know, we put it in piles and we look at it and we think about it and we polish it. But actually only about one in four of those parts that comes in gets used. Everything else gets scrapped. But we sure spend a lot of time on the things we're not going to use, right? And we don't know which ones we're going to use. So when we research people in the abstract using publicly available information, which is, you know, ubiquitous now, right? LinkedIn will tell us all sorts of things and other things will tell us some things. We do all the research, but we don't know if we're ever going to talk with them. So it's all predicated on the no notion that, <clears throat> that um, and this, you know, we were talking earlier about how you should talk about things that annoy you. Well, this is something that annoys me. Is folks spend, spend millions and millions of dollars to have people do research on people they're never going to speak with. I just think it's the strangest thing in the world. And I think you do it the other way around, which is segment your market first into people you can speak with because they should represent your market statistically at re in a reasonable way. Say you can speak with one third of them. That is statistically significant against your market. I mean, your market, you need to speak to a square root of them. And one third is bigger than a square root for almost all sizes of markets. Anybody who doubts this, write me a little note. I'll do the math for you. <clears throat> so say your market's 10,000, you need to talk to 100 to get to statistical significance. Well, find out of the 10,000, the 3,333 you can actually get a conversation with. Unfortunately, folks don't raise a little flag outside that says, I will answer the phone if you call me, or I will take a meeting from you if you send me a piece of spam. I mean, a, yeah. a, an incredibly well-crafted email and uh, crafted by ChatGPT, by the way, yeah, which, which we all trust. Right we all trust. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just crazy, right? So it's just odd, you know, it just seems odd. It seems very inefficient. The more efficient thing would be to magically know who is going to talk with you, but you can't. So the brute force method, which is let's try to talk to everybody. And then once we engage them in a conversation, we know that they're in that one third of the market that we can talk with. So set up a meeting with them and then do the research. That, mm. that way of doing things is hyper-efficient. And even more important, it's fast. It's fast on the calendar. And if you're in a competitive situation, well, there's two cases. One is your business doesn't compete with anybody. In that case, you are of no value to the market anyway, because if it's worth doing, somebody else is doing it. So yeah. speed is always important in competition and sales and in business, right? So the other is you're competing. So now you can be first, first to converse, or you can be second or third or fourth or whatever. Do you want to be first? The evidence is strong. First to converse tends to win about 72% of all the deals. So yeah. do you want to win 72% of all the deals or do you want to have somebody else do it just because they're faster? That's actually the core question about SDRs. So do you want to waste a bunch of money on research 
researching people you're never going to talk to, or do you want to talk to people you can talk to and then spend a little bit of money researching the ones that you actually have set meetings with and go much, much faster than your competition because they're busy researching people they're not going to talk to. It's crazy. As, as you put it into a manufacturing context, which I absolutely know nothing about, but I can imagine quite easily, it does sound ridiculous. It does sound absolutely crazy that we put in so much effort into things that are ultimately going to end up on the floor uh, and never get used. And, and I know this is the big challenge for SDRs, right? Do all the research, ring the phone. It doesn't get answered. What do I do with this research? Oh, it was on a post-it note. I'll just throw it away. And then when I try and call this person again next week, I have to re-research because I've not actually put it onto the CRM anyway. Um, and so the inefficiencies are are massive. They are absolutely massive. And like you say, it's a uh, it's an expensive end of the funnel, right? It's an expensive end of the funnel. That's why oftentimes it sits in marketing because blend it into the top of funnel budget and things along those right. lines. But so are you saying then that, that the job of a call is different? Because, you know, if I think about SDRs, I want them to engage, educate, inform, do that whole kind of thing. Are you saying that's too much for SDRs or we shouldn't expect that much? You're right. They're not they're not our best salespeople. They're, they're probably the, the most entry level we can get. So what should be the expectation then of that initial call? If, if I do pick up the phone, what should I what should I really be aiming for? Well, everybody who does this would say you're aiming for getting a meeting on, on the calendar, right? You want to, you want to have a, a date in sales. We yes. always want to have a date. We always want to have yeah. a next step. Uh, exactly. My friend, Cheryl Turner says sales is all about turning if into when. Yeah. And I think that's a really good summary of everything about sales. If all you do in sales is this thing, we're going to turn if into when that's all we're going to do. Purpose of this conversation, purpose of this activity, turn if if we're going to move forward into when, when are we going to actually have a next step? When are we going to converse? So if that's kind of how you see things, then the purpose of a, say the hardest thing, which is the cold call for the STR, the purpose of the cold call is to get a meeting. I actually disagree with that. I think it misses the fundamental truth about B2B. By the way, I know nothing about B2C. I mean, I'm, I'm a crap consumer. I'm so bad as a consumer like, don't even take me shopping, right? Yeah. If you saw what's on my feet right now, oh, look, nothing. I don't even bother <laughs> to buy shoes. So I'm a, I'm a lousy consumer, but I've been doing B2B for, eh, I don't know, 45 years. And I've learned a little something about it. The main thing I've learned about B2B is this. The business buyer is scared. They're yeah. very, very cautious because they're not risking their money. They're risking their career. That mm. is the most simple, deep, crystalline, never will change fact about B2B. If you're heading up the buying committee, that is, it's on you. Why do, why do folks have a buying committee? Let's see if they can kind of like fob off some of the responsibility right. and, and accountability on my own. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Does it work? No, because if whatever you buy sucks and hurts your company, they're going to remember you. The other people yeah. on the committee are going, well, I, I told them, I told them there could be a problem here, right? Every, yeah, yeah, right. So, when you're in B2B and you're the buyer or the potential buyer, you're not risking your money. I'll make a comparison. So I'm here in California right now, San Francisco. San Francisco essentially is a place populated by some people and lots of Teslas. There are amazing numbers of Teslas. Some of them just drive around without people. I think they're having a great time. So 
I go buy a Tesla. Say I finally give in. You know, I'm not living here in in San Francisco. I live in Washington now or Arizona or some other places. But say I go for the Tesla movement. So, you know, I don't know how you buy a Tesla. I take it you go to your Tesla app and you hit buy and the Tesla drives itself to you and you jump in. So say I do that, right? And after the first day, I notice some odd physical symptoms, like my ass itches. And and I go, wow, that's really weird. Normally, you know, my buttocks don't itch. This is like, and every day after I drive the Tesla, it's like getting worse. I'm getting a rash. So I go to my doctor. My doctor says, Chris, you know what? You're allergic to electricity. It's like, oh man, I got to get rid of the Tesla. So I dump the Tesla on the market and say I'm out 10 grand because a used Tesla is not worth you know, as much as a new one. And so I'm out 10 grand. Well, I can make up that 10 grand as a consumer. I can tell my wife, you know, sorry, I didn't know I was allergic to electricity. And she'd say, yeah, just add it to the list of things you didn't know. Right. So all to the good. Now, I make the same $70,000 purchase of something for my company. And it makes the company itch. Like nobody likes it. The thing doesn't work. It's a system that doesn't integrate. It doesn't keep up its promises. Their support sucks. They get acquired by somebody and they go from having an NPS of some big number down to negative numbers, whatever it is, who gets held accountable? Me, the guy who said, let's buy that thing, right? So I'm risking what? My reputation, my career, my kid's college education, my retirement, my self-respect, whether my dog will like me, I don't even have a dog, that kind of stuff. So here, here I am taking this big risk. So how do I actually get to the point of making a buying decision? Well, I have to trust the other person to make a decision that I don't trust myself to make. Now, that's a high bar. And this is why no decision <clears throat> completely dominates. No, like yeah. no decision, if you made a company out of no decision, that company would be worth trillions of dollars. Let's start the no decision company, Dan. We'll get paid for all the failed pursuits in B2B sales. That'll be, be amazing. It's like shorting the Just whole market. The win-loss report. Who did you lose this deal to? No decision. <laughs> no decision. We, we, we'd be, Chris, let's get, do it after the call. But yeah. Yeah, no, we're going to be very, very wealthy. It's uh, it's going to be embarrassing <laughs> how much money we have. It's really a problem. We'll buy some of these airplanes. So we'll get you a Tesla. Here's your problem. You're not <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to get to this very high level of trust, right? Well, how do you get there? Well, it's kind of obvious you need to start with some trust. Now mm. comes the, the fun part. I asked Chris Voss, the author of Never Split the Difference, how to negotiate as if your life depends on it. I was lucky enough to be at his table at dinner one night at some sort of crazy holiday event a few years ago. And I asked him afterwards, you know, I didn't corner him. He's a dangerous guy. I said, Chris, how long do we have to get trust in a cold call? And he said, seven seconds, just like that. Mm -hmm. And I went, whoa. Yeah. I said, well, our research says eight seconds. And he said, your research is wrong. It's seven seconds. Now do the math. I've got to get to a level of trust where they trust me. The buyer trusts me more than they trust themselves. I have to start with some trust. And mm. now the top guy in the world who with the Harvard Business School and the FBI and all this has studied this topic and done experiments. I don't want to say on whom and I don't want to say what they did. But, you know, the guy sold 20 year jail sentences. This is serious stuff. And so he says seven seconds. What he said is literally at second number eight, you're screwed. Wow. Oh, so now we know the purpose of a cold call to get trust. Is that, in why, seven is that why SDRs talk so quickly? 
Is that is that the why salespeople tend to talk so quickly? Is because they think we've got to get everything into that seven seconds, or is there is there a more effective way of building trust in that time? Well, unfortunately, Chris had a bourbon in his hand and he was relaxed, so I asked him a follow up question before he turned his attention to more interesting people than me. And my follow up question was, well, what do we have to do in those seven seconds? And he says, oh, that's easy. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at his glass, going, whoa, yeah. that must be the good stuff. So it's like, what do you mean that's easy? You know, that's, it can't be easy. He goes, yeah, it's easy, actually. We just have to show the other person we see the world through their eyes. We call it tactical empathy. Mm. And then we need to demonstrate to them that we're competent to solve a problem they have right now. And I said, well, we just ambushed them. Isn't the problem they have right now me? And he says, bingo. That's why you're always in control in a cold call. That's why you cannot possibly fail once you know what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm the problem. When I'm making the call, I'm the problem and I need to go away. And so yeah. was it respecting that, appreciating that? Uh, yeah, using it, yeah. using it. Because it puts you totally in control. I mean, his two pieces are, you need to show the other person you see the world through their eyes. Okay, yeah. so throw yourself under the bus because that's what they want to do with you. After all, when they answered the phone, they weren't hoping to get a salesperson. Yeah. That's not sure. what their dream was at that moment. I sure hope somebody calls me up and tells me that I'm not doing my job very well and I'm totally missing out on some opportunity to do it better. And I sure hope they're 24 years old because that'd be <laughs> fantastic. I always yeah. want a 24 year old to call me up and tell me how to do my job because, yeah. I mean, what if I didn't know? Right? No, right. That, that's, that's not why I answered. I answered because. I answered probably because I was in too much of a hurry not to answer. I answer because I'm a phone answerer and some people are and some people aren't. I answer yeah. because, oh, what's that area code there? That's interesting. You know, my, my, uh, I don't know, my sister-in-law sometimes travels there. I wonder if she's calling me, uh, whatever, right? I answer yeah. for a weird reason. And then, oh, it's a salesperson. Yeah. So I and wanting to throw them under the bus. They're, and they're a problem. What kind of a problem? Well, let's see. I was doing something else. I interrupted myself to talk to them. So they're an interruption. So yeah. the first thing you can do in a call that's super simple is just to state a bald fact in a baldly factual way. Just say, I know I'm an interruption. Not, I know I'm a bit of an interruption. Oh, I'm apologizing for interrupting. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did I catch you at a bad time? None of that crap. Yeah. I know I'm an interruption, hammering the word no. Now, we've gotten the first part done. Okay, I see the world through your eyes. Got it. Now what? Well, I've got to offer to solve the problem they have right now in a way that's credible. How about if I just offer to go away? So, but how do I offer to go away without saying, so should I just hang up now? <laughs> that doesn't work. Right? The shortest cold call in the world. <laughs> I have yeah, a problem. Should I go away? Yes, please. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So what you can say is something like this. First of all, you have, you have to say it in the right voice. Everything's about the voice. The words yeah. are like, eh, the voice is big, right? Yeah. So the first voice is hard, flat, throw yourself under the bus, self-indictment. Like you're saying this, you know, I get it. I get yeah. it. It's, we just find ourselves in the situation. But here we are. I know I'm an interruption. Then you change your voice to a playful and curious voice. This is actually an FBI voice called mm. playful curious. Believe yes. it or not, when you're negotiating for people's lives, 
be playful and curious, it turns out. So, hey, these guys do the research, you know, with lives on the line. So I'm going to buy it. So the playful, curious voice goes up. And I don't like up voices, but this one goes up. It goes up twice. Da -da 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 with a little chuckle in it. So yeah. now you, this is hard, by the way. How do you switch from, I know I'm an interruption, which is kind of regretful, right? I regret my existence. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> apologizing. I'm just pointing out I suck. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? Now, the 27 seconds says I'm offering to go away because I didn't ask for an indefinite period of time. I was definite. Yeah. It's yeah. also a strange number that's very, very easy to say. So you listen because it's weird and you get the promise, which is, I guess, yeah, why not? Right now you've reduced their problem, which is wait for 27 seconds and I'll go away. Yeah. Now, and most people are too polite to say no in those situations, right? We're just, it's 27 seconds. I can, I can. I could delay my pain for that, that element. Yeah. Yeah. We all know I had 27 seconds. I answered the damn phone. Yeah, exactly. There we go. So when you say it like that, you're offering the person the opportunity to say, yeah, go ahead. Cause you're letting them off the hook. Yeah. What's weird about it is you just fulfilled the two requirements to get them to trust you. Mm, nice. And that's the beginning of the journey in B2B sales. And I like, I like that. This is, this is my, you know, again, we talk about ranting and complaining, you know, when it's a salesperson that calls you because they sound like a salesperson. That's, that's my biggest bugbear. And yes, we are salespeople. And yes, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. But also let's try not to sound like a salesperson. Hi, would you like to buy this? No, I don't, I don't want that. I'm a realistic human being. Talk to me as a human not as the person that you have personified me using chat GPT, try to target me yeah. and then deliver that message. I don't want to hear that. But if you call me and just like you say, it's, you know, show that I like it tactical empathy and, and help me understand that you, you recognize this isn't interruption. I'm going to listen. One of my biggest bugbears is when people say, I'll keep it brief. I don't want it to be brief. I want it to be relevant or something along those lines. You can be as short as you want, but if it's not relevant, then whatever. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, give me 27 seconds. And I like the the uniqueness of the number just to, to kind of prick my ears up a little bit. Um, that's smart. That's smart. So yeah, what, super what then, easy to then? say. Yeah, I was going to say, what what then? Like, so I'm like, okay, fine. Well, let's do it. Well, let's get to the hard part first. The hard part is that you don't want to do this. Like, who wants to throw themselves under the bus? The reason <laughs> that cold calling is so hard is you have deliberately decided to ambush somebody with good intention. There yeah. isn't anything in the vocabulary that says ambush with good intention. Like, go look it up. Ambush with good intention. Like, what's that? But we do it all the time, actually, in the, in the world. Yeah. Like when a surgeon uh, is going to cut into you, right? They kind of ambush you. They, for one thing, they have this friend called the anesthesiologist, and they make you unconscious so you don't even know what they're doing to you. That yeah. requires a very high level of trust, right? It's like, how about you make me unconscious and then this guy over here cuts into me and messes around for a bit and later I'm sure I'll feel fine. It's kind of a strange transaction when you think about yeah. it, but it's for your own good. Once you establish who is going to be the beneficiary, this ambush becomes ethically tolerable. And in fact, my friend Scott Webb, who's one of the greatest cold callers on earth, he's the chief sales officer over at Hub International, big a big insurance brokerage. 
he leads from the front and he conducts these big blitzes using our product connect and sell in order to yeah. have his folks for exactly one hour. They start in the second, they end on the second, they boom, boom, boom. Sorry, op, it's a real operation. He leads from the front. He called me one day and said, Chris, my mindset's all wrong. Uh, I, I got to fix it. I said, what's wrong with it? He says, I don't know. There's just something like, I'm going to replace my mindset with this one. I'm going to visualize myself slamming my fist into the chest of this person to keep them from walking in front of a speeding bus. Ooh. I'm going to save their life. So it doesn't matter if it hurts them in the moment because I'm saving their life. So that's yeah. what I'm going to do. So then he called me an hour later and eight seconds because they're very precise there. And he, he said, it, I went five for five. And he sets meetings at about 96% or something like that. That's amazing. Because okay. in his mind, he's saving their life. The yeah. average SDR is not visualizing that they're saving somebody's life. They're visualizing that I sure hope nobody answers the phone here. And if they do, I sure hope they're nice to me because yeah. I don't like people being mean to me because it makes me feel bad. Yeah, or I get my 50, 60 dials in today. And if nobody picks up, that's not my fault. And I don't have to speak to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I love that because there, there, there's a there's there's a compulsion. There's a compulsion. You're not, you're not just going to gently try and stop someone from walking in front of a speeding train. You are you're in that. It's 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 you have to be all in in that moment. So oh, I love that. I love that attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Your intention has to be very pure, and you have to know what it is that you're offering a value. What you're offering a value is the opportunity for them to learn from an expert. You might not be an expert because you're an SDR, but you have access to a pool of experts. They're called these AE people. And in addition, the rest of your company. And then you have all this expertise built into your product. Products don't just like spring out of the ground. Somebody yeah. works on them. I was talking with my friend Swami Viswanathan last night. I hadn't seen him for a while. This guy's had multiple successful exits. He's doing okay. Let me just put it that way. Swami wasn't staying in you know dirtbag hotel and driving crap car, right? So he's very frugal though. So God knows what this guy, I love this guy. What does he do after multiple successful exits? He bootstraps another company and builds a product from scratch. He's a product guy. He's had yeah. like three or four hours of sleep for the last year and a half. Why does he do this? Because he believes in the value of what he has to offer. When you're an SDR, that's what you're offering is access yeah. to that level of dedication, commitment, intelligence that's gotten to the point of being a product and all, they're not even going to get the product involved yet the expertise is in the product the expertise is in your sales force the expertise is in your engineering folks will interact with them you're offering true insightful gold to them which may never lead to them doing business with your company but it's of intrinsic value that's your offer the meeting is the best product in the world there is nothing more valuable than that product. That's what you're offering. So act like it. But first, you've got to know what are they going to learn in the meeting? Yeah. Like I've asked hundreds of SDRs this question. What specifically name three things that this prospect will learn in this meeting that will enhance their personal and professional life forever, even if they never do business with you? I have never had one SDR answer that question. It's such and a that's tough their question. Product. And this this thing, because we talk about value selling, we know the value of the product. But this is my question to SDRs: is you know the the you know, purpose of the meeting is to build trust, and or purpose of the call is to build trust and get the meeting. So I said, 
So the meeting has to have inherent value. If, if you can sell the meeting, then that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to sell that next engagement to what is the value of that meeting. And always, yeah. almost always, until I sort of condition them a little bit, is blank faces. Like, I don't know. It's just that's the next step in the sales process. I have to book that meeting. And for me, it's two yeah. things, right? It's, it's typically two things. It's number one is clarity. It's a diagnosis of your problems. So going back to your surgeon analogy, is you you know there's a problem. You know, you've got this itch or something along those lines. You're not necessarily sure what it is. You maybe have done some research, but you know, here's a company that's calling up saying, look, we can accurately diagnose that for you and give you absolute clarity on, on what you're going to get. And then secondly, it's a look under the hood at how other people are solving that problem. Like it's an insight into what other people similar to you, hopefully, have have gone on and done with that. And so like you say, the, the, the essence, the knowledge that's in that meeting is massively valuable. But yeah, for some reason, SDRs aren't able to articulate that terribly clearly. Yeah, well, their management has failed them. If I'm asking you to sell something and I don't give you the opportunity and they insist that you know the value of what you're selling for someone else, not you, it's the value is not your commission, by the way. The value yeah. is what they might get out of it. And what they're going to get out of it is knowledge. And now the question is, well, what kind of knowledge? Very yes. specifically, mm. like what? So I always ask it this way. What are three things that somebody will learn? Yeah. One of them is economic. It's about time. It's about money. It's about risk. One yeah. of them is emotional. Everybody has emotional problems that they're dealing with at, in, in their job. It's usually frustration. We're almost all frustrated that we don't have the support or the resources we need to do our job as well as we hold ourselves accountable for. Yeah. So they're frustrated. If they're not frustrated, trust me, you're never going to sell anything to them, including a yeah. meeting. So, okay. Yeah. Frustration is yeah. a great emotion. Fear is another one. I stay away from fear. I'm kind of afraid of fear, so to speak, because yeah. there's an implication. When you say to somebody, you're afraid, they say, no, I'm not. Yeah. And the more afraid they are, the more they say, no, I'm not. <laughs> I used to teach people to rock climb. Nobody says that they're afraid. Well, some people say, yeah, I'm afraid of heights because they don't want to even try it, right? Yeah. But the yeah. fact is we're all afraid of falling. I took an 800 foot fall one long time ago. It's yeah. really in me. It's like mm -hmm. in my vagus nerve or something. It's in yeah. there. And you yeah. walk me up to the edge of something and I go, ooh, right? And then the third one is what, we, what I call strategy. That is they're trying to go somewhere in their business mm -hmm. and they're yeah. blocked. And so since strategy is a list of a series of steps to go from where you are to where you want to be, if there's a blocker step that they're running into and you're going to offer an insight as to how that step can be reduced, managed, worked around, whatever, super valuable. So what are those three things? Like, what is the economic thing that they're going to learn in this meeting? What is the emotional yeah. thing they're going to learn in this meeting? What is the strategic thing they're going to learn in this meeting? Now we have a framework. As an SDR, you need to know those things and have heard them from somebody who had that value come to them through the meeting, not through the product. So you need to actually be introduced to people who had the meeting, got a lot out of the meeting, and didn't become your company's customer. And management has failed you if they don't provide you with those conversations. That's, and I love that when SDRs are able to join those meetings, and I don't think it happens enough. Like this is every industry is that follow on. Like I've booked the appointment. And it's, it's a good education. It's a good evolution for SDRs as they move through the sales flow. But it's also that reality of, oh, okay, well, I said this and this is what really happened. And then that belief becomes 
you know, again, it goes back to your friend who's, whose beliefs, their mindset determines their, their kind of their will to get people onto those meetings is because they know the the, the power, the, the implication. So, you know, I think when, when SDRs start, they're telling stories. And I remember we used to, this is many years ago, we used to tell the stories to salespeople. So here's the story. This is the story you should use to engage with people. But as you get your own story, then it becomes more compelling. But until you get that, like use this, because this is a good story. Um, but that's it. I mean, I love this economic idea, an emotional idea, a strategy idea. If we can voice that, if we can get that across uh, as the value for the meeting, then there's absolutely no reason why people wouldn't take it. Exactly, exactly. I'm having a little internet problem here, you know, hotels, but I, 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 I get it. It's So this is like the key. Look at how much we got out of the first seven seconds. I mean, it's kind yeah. of amazing, right? So now the question is, and I'll go back to my rock climbing analogy. So I actually used to do big wall kind of stuff, like first ascents, not even the yeah. familiar stuff, right? So your number one job is to find a way up that you can get back down. That That's really bad to go up. It's called a committed route if you go up and you go through a part where you can't come back. Yeah, right? It's like, oh, now what? Well, we don't know if we can do that part, but we know we can't get back down. That's not so great. So you're trying to find a safe path. Right? Mm. You have an ambitious project, you're trying to find a safe path because you kind of like being alive and you think that maybe doing this more than once and you have a climbing partner, you don't want them to die either. So you kind of have motivation, right? So we have the same problem at this point. Once we get trust, we have, we have an issue. We could blow this trust easily because it may take, by the way, three quarters, four quarters, five quarters, six quarters, something like that to be able to harvest that trust because the timing is going to be wrong yeah on 11 out of 12 people we talk to. So think yeah. about your market this way. You're gonna to talk to 33% of it if you're great and you use great technology to go talk to everybody before your competitor talks to anybody. Okay, so now we're down to 33%. So what percentage of the 33% are in market for your solution in this quarter? Well, the answer is 1 12th, that's about 9% roughly. The other 91% will be in market for your solution sometime in the next 11 quarters following this one. Yeah, the exactly. math is simple. The replacement cycle for B2B products is about three years. Yep. If you just bought one in a certain category, you're not in market. So now we're down to what's the role of marketing? And this is really interesting because the role of marketing is to take care of the next 11 quarters. The role mm -hmm. of sales is to take care of this quarter, yeah. but sales is the only, the only place where the key interactions are going to take place that determine whether the next 11 quarters are in play. So if you blow it in this quarter, that is, they don't trust you, you're screwed. You actually just worked hard for your competitor. You educated yeah. this person a little bit, and now when, the, when your competitor calls them, you've just done their work. That's yeah. not smart in business to work for your competitor. I, I hope this is obvious to all of us, right? You don't even, I mean, we know this even when we're little kids, it's like that we call that unfair, but we also call it stupid, right? So here we are trying not to work for a competitor, but we just got trust. So we don't wanna blow the trust. So the, here's how you blow the trust, offer value, because then you're presumptuously selling to somebody and they haven't agreed to be sold to yet. They haven't even agreed mm. to learn about this thing. They've yeah. agreed to yeah. listen to why you called them. Yeah. That's what they've agreed. That's the bargain. So tell them why you called them. Now, if you tell them, 
I called you because I'm presuming that you have this specific problem and only we can solve it. You're being more than a little presumptuous. You're on very thin ice. Yeah. If you call them to get them to be curious about learning something, that's okay. So you're, you're the path bifurcates at this point. One way is value. That's what you're taught in sales school. Always lead with value. It makes an assumption. This person answered the phone hoping that somebody would give them a lesson on value in their job. It's kind of ridiculous when you think yeah. about it, right? It's, oh, I was just hoping a salesperson would call me up and tell me how to do my job. I don't think so. But then there's curiosity. Anybody can offer curiosity. And curiosity is contagious. If you're at a party and one person in a conversation suddenly turns their head and looks at the, at the door, at the front door, everybody looks at the front door because they're curious about what this person is seeing, what attracted their attention. Yeah. Curiosity is very innocent. It's <clears throat> hard to blow trust with curiosity. So it's a safe path. The question is, is it a viable path? And the answer is it is because people act based on curiosity more than they act based on value. Curiosity killed the cat because the cat was interested in something that caused it to take an action and the action turned out to be dangerous. Yep. Humans, cats, whatever, probably goldfish. I bet amoebas are curious. They will seek novelty as long as it seems pretty safe. So curiosity is the emotion that allows us to take a new action. Well, taking a meeting with somebody that you don't know is a new action. So yep. let's go with curiosity. And it's very, very easy to do, except getting your voice right for it is really tricky because you want to tell them how great you are. And as soon as you say how great you are, how great your company is and all that, then you get another reaction. It's called psychological yeah. reactance. Yeah. No, you're not. Yep. No, you're exactly. not. My daddy's stronger than your daddy. No, he's not. Yes, he <laughs> is. No, he's not. You're in the third grade playground. You are toast. Yeah. So now you have this delicate high wire act to bring curiosity into play and then get to the point of why you called. So it's really, so what, what, really. So what does that sound like then? Cause that, that sounds like you say, like a, a pretty thin tightrope, like on one side, you're going to be, you're going to lean to talking about all the great things you can do on the other side. It's, it becomes vague and, and too abstract. So how do right. we, how do we tread that line? Well, we use, language and voice together. And it's the it, just like in the first seven seconds is the first part that counts. So the first part is you've got to get their attention. They agreed to listen to you, but they didn't agree to pay attention to you. True. They're, they're yeah. very different thing. So it's actually a weird declaration that you make, you can make And By the way, there are thousands of ways of doing this. I, I, I have to say anybody listening, don't go, Oh, that Chris Beal guy said there's exactly one way to conduct a cold call. This is just a safe path. I'm kind yeah. of into safety. My, my wife thinks this is pretty funny. She says, you used to climb these big things and you like hold the handrail when you get down every set of stairs. Like, yes, I'm into safety. I don't know why. I just think yeah. it's better to live than not to live. You know, so I, I prefer okay. it. So that your safe path is to curiosity. Well, how do you get there? Well, you can say, I believe with a hammer on the word I, and that gets somebody's attention. That is a declaration. Basically, hey, hey listen to me. In a way that isn't saying I'm great, it's just saying this is important. If this is important, that's the declaration. Yeah. Now, if you say this is important, that'd be a little weird. You could probably do it. But I believe gets that across. But you have to say it like 
I believe, not like, oh, I believe it's going to rain today. Yeah. Right. It's not an expression of what you think might be happening. It's a declaration about yourself. And you're allowing somebody to be curious about what you believe. It's a funny declaration because it leads into curiosity. Then you need to amplify the curiosity. So you lower your voice and you make them listen more carefully. Having declared this is important, then you make them put in a little bit of work. Yeah. So I believe we've discovered a breakthrough. Notice how soft I am on we've discovered. Yeah. Now, why we? Well, we, people are curious about people. I always think this is a, a funny phenomenon. Now, here in the United States, there is essentially a cult following national scale concerning this family that lives in this place called Buckingham Palace or something like that. <laughs> we don't really know who these people are, but for yeah. some reason we should be obsessed with their goings on. Like which ones don't like which ones and yeah. who's invited what? And did they wear something that looked like this or looked like that? And did somebody look at somebody funny? And did somebody write something about somebody in a booklet? And they're not, I, we're obsessed with it. Yeah. There is no practical value to this whatsoever, as far as we can tell. As far as we can tell, we kind of had like a little deal back in 1776, involves bloodshed and stuff like that. Yeah. And then here we are. But it's people who we don't know much about and we're curious about them. People are very curious about people. Mm. So we is an ambiguous people. It's not me anymore. Mm. Now it's we. So now I'm already leaning so, in thinking, well, who else are these leaning people? Leaning in. Who, who else is that? Yeah, 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 I know. Could be, you know, Princess What's-Her-Name. Yeah. So <clears throat> I believe... So you soften your voice to make them come toward you. We've discovered, discovered is a wonderful word because yeah. we're lucky. People like lucky people. They don't like great people. They yeah. like to go by a great person, but they like lucky people. I was with a chef last mm -hmm. night who was invited to put on, uh, invited, that means paid, to put on this wonderful do with this party. He is incredible. His scallops, you could sell one of his scallops for the value of one of these Silicon Valley companies. Well. Maybe more nowadays. But <clears throat> so this guy's tremendous. I asked him, what, like, how'd this work for you? He said, I was very lucky. My mother taught me English. She was an English teacher and she taught me English. She's Brazilian at, at a very early age. And that has turned out to be the differentiator in my career. It was very appealing to me. He was mm. lucky. He was an innocent child mm. whose mother taught him something. He didn't say, well, I determined when I was a young lad that I was going to study my ass off and learn English so that when I became a great chef, everybody would want me because I could talk to the folks that were cooking for him. No, he said, I was lucky and I liked him more. Yeah. It made for good conversation to follow, right? So folks love lucky people. I used to be a professional blackjack player. Um, feel free to tell the IRS, but it was a long time ago. And People liked me. Why? Because I was the guy with all the chips on the table. Yeah. And they'd sidle up to me because they want luck. There's a phrase, luck rubs off on you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So now you're attractive. Well, okay. People are curious about lucky people. So I believe we've discovered now I've got a problem. I need to actually say something. And the something's got to be a story. And I don't have a good setup for the story. Like, who's going to be the hero in the story? It can't be me. It can't be us. It's got to be someone else. Because yeah. if it's me or us, I'm in the third grade playground. I'm saying I'm great. Right? So yeah. how do I avoid saying I'm great and yet say something is interesting in a positive way? 
So yeah. a great word is a breakthrough because a breakthrough is a noun that could do something. It could be active. It could be a thing. It's like a little person. It's a hero. And all good stories are heroes, journey stories. So by saying, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough and you hammer the word breakthrough because now I'm introducing the story and the main character. Yeah. Now you're on the edge of your seat going, what does a breakthrough do? Like, what's it all about? And the answer is, it does something interesting. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates. Notice that's kind of a confidential voice. You're getting in on a secret here. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates. By the way, there's poetry and completely eliminates all those L's, that alliteration. We listen to and learn poetry with a part of our brain that is different from the part that listens to mm. prose. Yeah. That's why we remember songs, songs and poems. Poems are word songs and they're listened to in the song part of the brain that makes that stuff that you hear all the time when you're just walking around. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. I had a little Elvin Bishop going on in there yesterday. I fooled around and fell in love. I don't know what it was doing in there. It's that part of the brain that's just kind of like singing songs all the time, right? Yeah. So poetry goes into an unerasable part of the brain. I remember poems I learned many, many years ago. I remember poems I learned in languages I don't speak, which is interesting. Yeah. So, uh, that, so you want them to remember, right? So now we have a little poetry. We trigger the poetic part of the brain. Notice all of this is midbrain surgery. Yeah. We are stopping this person from walking in front of a speeding bus by reaching into their brain with our little brain scalpel yeah. and helping them see the situation differently. And so now we just have to introduce the breakthroughs breakthrough. What does it do when it's, it's a heroic journey? Well, it's got to kill a three-headed dragon because that's what heroes do. One head is economic, one head is emotional, one head is uh, strategic. Yeah. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste and the frustration that keeps your best sales reps from being effective on the phone or even using the phone at all. And the reason I reached out to you today to get 15 minutes on your calendar to share this breakthrough with you. Do you happen to have your calendar available? Wow. That's it. That's the shortest cold call ever. And I loved it. And, and thank you for thank you for breaking it down because you could just say that and people wouldn't, you know, if you just said that without breaking it down, people would go, oh, well, that sounds nice. I'll try it one day and then they wouldn't understand. But you're teaching the building blocks. That's 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 awesome. Is it that that's the simple thing? So we've got those kind of three, that three-headed monster you said at the end, I love that. And I do love the hero's journey. I think it's a phenomenal model, especially for telling stories. Um, that's it. That's that's all we need to do on that's a call is get them to have that attention, pay attention, lean in, and then offer them to know more about the story. Yeah, that's it. I mean, now you have to stick to your guns. You have to believe. So they're going to yeah. try to get, their goal doesn't change, by the way. Oh, when yeah. you get somebody get in a cold call, you are the invisible stranger. <laughs> yeah. Their goal is still the same. Get off this call with my self-image intact. That's their goal. Yeah. That yeah. goal will never change. So you have to recognize they still want to get off the call with the self-image intact. So offer the path of least resistance, which is to say yes to a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I went to the States years ago. I went to a rodeo. And I, I, I kind of... Uh, a rodeo is an absolute must if you're ever in Cody, Wyoming. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing, but that's effectively what a cold call is, right? Is you're you're effectively trying to hold on to this thing that just doesn't want you there. But it's yeah, the start is such that. an important part. The start is such an important part. If you can gain control, well, this problem is we give control away by asking such a vague question. 
hey, Chris, you know, I know I've interrupted you. Do you have five minutes to tell me about your lifetime goals for the next 20 minutes? It's like, no, thanks, not mine. <laughs> but here you're giving just a tiny, you're in control, you're giving a tiny bit of permission. And, and we're kind of, we're, we're moving things along we're in the direction. We're still going in the direction that we want, but we're also appreciating that there's, they've got an agenda as well, which is to get off. So obviously, yeah, in, in, a, in a dream situation, the answer is yes, I would love to book a meeting. But I guess this is where we have to be prepared to go to work because they're not necessarily just going to say yes straight away, right? Right. So they're going to object. That's why we have flight school, right? In flight school, the <clears> third <throat> lesson in flight school is three hours long. You're doing real calls. So flight school is four three-hour sessions, cold calling real prospects. And for the first three hours, you're coached on the first seven seconds of the conversation. And you're right. having lots of conversations. You'll have 12, 15, 18 live conversations with decision makers. So yep. your heart rate will be high and little hands will sweat and your pupils will be big and you don't have to go to the gym for a week. Spectacular. But in the third session, we call it turbulence. The first one's takeoff. Like, let's get this call going the first seven yep. seconds. Second one is navigation. Where are we going to go? What's the path? That's the, the, the path of curiosity. We know we're going to get very special objections that have to do with this peculiar situation, which is we've ambushed somebody and they want to get off the call. And all we have going for us is they want to keep their self-image intact. Even my mother, who would hang up on somebody with great vigor and almost break telephones, even she said, no, thank you. Why? To preserve her self-image as a polite yeah girl that was raised in Western Massachusetts to have good manners, bang on the phone. No, thank you. It's like, mom, you used to say, don't use that tone of voice with me. You just used it with them. Yes, but at least I said, thank you. Right. <laughs> so they are desperate to keep their self image yeah. intact and you can help, ha let them use that to help them make a good decision, which yeah. is to want to learn more. So that's kind of what you're doing. So you have to handle that objection. The big objection that we run into when we throw value out there is the, hey, thanks so much, Dan. And you'll hear it with relief in their voice because you've just solved their problem. So you you lead with value and they'll say, we're all set. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. You know what? We're all set. Now, when they say we're all set, they're making an assertion you cannot counter. What are you going to say? No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. I know your situation better than you do. I'm an obnoxious salesperson. Yeah. Right. It doesn't work like that. So when, when they say we're all set, you're doomed. So don't let them say that. Avoid the value path. Stay on the curiosity path. There's nothing to be all set about. Now mm -hmm. they're going to say, well, tell me more. And that's your tough objection because you're tempted. Mm -hmm. So if you're a master, if you're like, you know, 30 years of experience in the field, you're an expert, you can say something like, and, and you're not if you're an SDR. But if you're a master, right, you're, you're me talking about something I know about. So you're talking about, I don't know, electronic catalog searching in which it's possible I hold 17 patents. Then you could, you could go out there and talk with them, but you have to have a right prelude, which, which is, look, I just ambushed you. And this is not an appropriate setting to talk about something this important. But if you insist, uh, you can ask, you know, do you have a question? And they might go, oh, that's interesting. Now we're entering the next phase of the relationship consciously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to have the meeting now. But if you're going to do that, you've got to be good. Most people are not that good that they yeah. can go in without research. Because now, guess what? You're not getting to do your research. 
So you've got to be a master, right? You've yeah. got to be that bull rider who gets on the bull in Cody, Wyoming, and doesn't know anything about this bull. And I guarantee yeah. you, my sister used to date a bull rider, and they are not the sharpest people in the world, by and large. Any bull riders who feel like I'm insulting you, you know this about yourselves. You ride bulls, right? They, they know those bulls. Yeah. That's number one is knowing what the bull does. Does this bull turn right? Does it turn left? What does it go head down? Heels up, you know? They've got names for every move. You could take chat GPT and you could you could have it actually summarize a bull's moves as a, as a narrative. And it would be able to tell you about other bulls and the chances of somebody staying on for three seconds and all that good stuff. So you're now embarking in a world that you're, you're man, you're in trouble. You're going to hold a discovery call without research. Mm. You can't afford to do the research before the cold call because you don't know if you're going to get them. Yeah. So now you just got them. So are you going to do the discovery call on the fly? Maybe I won't do it. I'm not that good. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. So the alternative is just to insist that this is too important a topic to handle in an ambush call. So throw the call under the bus. Yeah. You already did it once by throwing yourself under the bus. Now throw the call under the bus. Hey, you know, I've learned the hard way that an ambush call like this is not an appropriate setting to talk about something this important. Tell you what, I'm a morning person. How's your Thursday? Yeah. yeah. It's tough to do that though, because the in, the instinct is, I've got a bike. Let me, let, let me go with it now <laughs> while I've got a bike. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but yeah, the quality, the conversion rate on the back end of that would be far inferior to a, a properly scheduled, full-on discovery where you've been able to do the, the practice right. and the preparation. Right. And you'll never know why you lost. That's mm. the, the real problem is if, if in sales, we ever have a step that if doesn't turn into when, yeah. and we can't say why that is in one or two words, like in a little disposition, yeah. we're kind of screwed because now we don't understand our sales process. We don't know what's working and what's not working. And yeah. sales like anything else, like manufacturing, you have to get better and better and better and better and better. How do you get better if you can't even say why something didn't work? Oh, God, this guy's an idiot. Oh, I, I get people like that all the time. Salespeople make a lot of statements about other people that are really statements about what they failed to do themselves. Yeah. And the main thing they fail to do is they try to go forward where there's no foundation to go forward. So I call it the, I used to, to live out in the desert and we had a, a fence oddly enough, because we had some neighbors somewhere nearby and, and our dogs would sometimes do odd things like, you know, jump in a guy's shortwave radio, start a fire, right? That kind of stuff. So we had a fence. Well, if my dog saw something on the other side of the fence, like, I don't know, a rabbit, or, you know, you hold a piece of meat over there, does the dog back up and go through the gate? No, the dog tries to go through the fence. It doesn't matter how much it hurts, how bloody yeah. its nose gets, you know, it yeah. whines, it, it goes, it tries to go through the fence. Many salespeople are like a dog trying to go through a chain link fence. Yeah. The gate's right over there. You have to back up, slow down, assess the situation with some situational awareness, find the open gate, take the time to go to it, figure out how to open it because maybe you're a dog and your paws don't work so well and you need to find like a person to open the gate and then go through and sniff somebody or do whatever you're going to do with dog stuff. So 
it's really interesting that sales is all about emotional control for the seller. Mm. It's like fishing on very light line. Oh, I caught something. I think I'll jerk it and go, you're going to break the line every time. What's the point? Yes, but I got one once like this. Well, yeah. so what? You don't want to get one. Exactly. You don't want to get one. So give yourself the chance to do the research before the meeting. I love that. That's it. I, I've got to ask the question because you said, so flight school is four lessons. You said first one's taken off for seven seconds. Then we've got the, the path of curiosity, which is lesson two. Then we've got turbulence. Help me out. Is lesson four something about landing? Like where, where does lesson yeah, four go? <laughs> Bingo. That's why flight stay, school is such a great up in the air, Just keep on flying and refueling up there. <laughs> No, it's about landing the meeting. <clears throat> and, it, and that's the that's actually the hard part because at that point you the tendency is to waver on your on your conviction. Yeah. It's like when somebody says no, because now they're gonna say no in 12 different ways. Yeah. It you've got to be good with that somehow. So Jeb Blunt teach, teaches something called a ledge. Mm -hmm. So at Cher Cheryl Turner, who's one of the best cold callers on earth, her ledge is the same as mine. It's fantastic. And and a laugh. So she'll get a hold of somebody. It's like, Cheryl, it's after hours. I'm here with some CEO buddies. We're in my pool and I'm having a beer. And she goes, she laughs and she says, fantastic. Tell you what, I'm a morning person. I'll shoot you something for Thursday. Let you go back to drinking your beer. We'll move it around if we have to. Done. Done. Because that's progress. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a lock. It's progress. Yeah. We turned if into when when thursday morning oh if they say yes then we have an agreement for the modern intrusion which is called sending somebody a calendar invitation by email that magically shows up on their calendar and being a good executive they're committed to their calendar yeah you're actually more done than you think at that point and they go well before we do that let me qualify you a little bit I mean, you say you're a CEO, but are you a CEO of a company that we really care about? Because I think you probably suck. How many X, Y, or Z do you have? How much of this do you do? But save it for discovery. And by the yeah. way, don't yeah. even do it there. Just do the research and just check. Do the research. Uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then have a nice conversation with them where in discovery, all you really want to do is get them to confess. It's a confessional. I have like a whole podcast episode on the discovery as a confessional. Now, I yeah. wasn't raised in a confessional religion. I was raised in a religion. I think it's called coyote out in the <laughs> desert. I don't know. We like worship staying alive. Yeah. And and yet I understand the nature of the confessional, which is when somebody starts confessing to you, that means they trust you. And they're going to tell you their real problems. Mm. So how do you get them to confess? That's the only point of discovery is getting somebody to confess. And interrogating somebody is not a good way to get them to confess because, you know, this ain't the Spanish Inquisition. They can walk out of the room. Yeah. So, okay, if you can't lock them up, how do you induce them to confess? Well, you have, a, it's the same problem, by the way. We didn't talk, say we were going to talk about this, but you have the same problem in a discovery call you have in a cold call. The emotional journey starts in an awkward place. In a cold call, it starts with their fear of you as an invisible stranger. Yeah. And a discovery call it starts with their apprehension that you're going to trick them. Yeah. You're going to box them in. You're going to sell them something. They're apprehensive. It's not fear per se. It's more like a kind of nervousness. Yeah. And so they're, they, they hold back. 
So your job is to actually say it's okay, but how do you do that? Well, you need to replace that apprehension with a different emotion. The key to sales is sales is all about emotional journeys. Somebody else is not yours, by the way. So you need to be yeah. an emotional master of yourself, which is uh, why young salespeople have challenges. Because like when you're 24, if you're an emotional master of yourself, you're also a little weird. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's very unusual for somebody to be that evolved, right? Yeah. This is why 60 and 70 year olds sell like that. It's like, how hard is that? I don't know. I just talked to them and you know they seem to want to buy something from me. What's the mystery? Well, emotional evolution, emotional maturity. So on the other side, the other person, the other the counterparty, they're starting somewhere emotionally. And all we can do with emotions is replace them with other emotions. Thank God you can only feel one at a time. You know, when somebody says they have a love-hate relationship, that doesn't mean at the same time. That means they oscillate between love and hate. So you can't do both. So what emotion do we want to replace apprehension with? Where can we go from here? This is a strategic question with regard to how human beings work. Pride is a wonderful emotion to replace apprehension. You cannot mm. feel apprehensive when yeah. you're feeling proud. What are people proud of? Oddly enough, regardless of what they say, they're proud of where they live. You told me a story about a jet museum yeah. in Gloucester. Fantastic. There's pride in that. Where can we go from that? So just ask them. Here's my question. I know people think this is like the dumbest thing in the world. They'll listen to my discovery calls and say, didn't you ever learn anything about sales? It's like, well, no, but I'm trying. So I just ask, so, so Dan, I just have to know, where are you right now on the face of our blue whirling planet? Yeah. That's what I ask. Why do I ask that? Because I want two things. I want an image of us together. So you're seeing the planet in your mind, Earth hanging in space. We're both together there with a bunch of other people and animals and plants and protests and all sorts of things. And we're kind of alone out in the vastness of space and we're together. Maybe we should be working together. Mm. So that's one idea that comes from that visual. Yeah. And then the other is you can talk with pride about where you are because you yeah. chose to be there. I mean, I'm not calling you in prison. Yeah. Is that so we've made big progress. We got to pride. Now, my problem is Pride of place is not good enough. We got to get pride of mission. How mm. do we get pride of mission? Just ask this question. You know, in your business, I try to understand everybody's business. I do a bunch of research. And you know what? I'm always wrong. 100% of the time I'm wrong. I miss some nuance because everybody's business is more complex and involved and has more history than I can get to on their website. So a question, if you don't mind, is when everything goes great in your business, when it's outstanding, What's the right customer with circumstances are perfect. The budget is there. You know, your people are do the right thing. Their people do the right thing. They have all the other systems, whatever it is. How does your product change that person's life? Mm. And you ask that question and suddenly you're to the heart of mission. Yeah. Why do they do what they do? So now you have pride of mission while well, they describe to you how their product, when everything is great, changes a person's life. Because people are worth changing their life if you can, whereas corporations, like, who really cares? Oh, we changed the life of ABC Corp. Yeah, right. Tell me more. Right? So now you're done. You're in the confessional. You're done. That. That's how, dis I mean, this is a way to make discovery work. And almost nobody does it. They go, well, so Dan, you know, 
So we do X, Y, and Z. And uh, like, how many of these do you, how many sales reps do you have, Dan? How many phone calls? It's just a checklist. It's like, and it's like you say, there's no excitement. There's no dreaming. There's no looking into the future and getting excited. And like you say, I'm reluctant to give that information because you're going to use it against me as a sales tactic. Yeah. Yeah. It's this proof. Been, this has it's been proof. phenomenal. Like so many, I've, I've been scribbling notes here and trying to pay attention to the conversation. I'm also trying to scribble things down here that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll move forwards. Um, this is brilliant. Like you, you've, you've deconstructed one of the hardest things to do in sales, which is pick up the phone and talk to a complete stranger. And you've done it in a way that, like you say, allows you to build trust. You've learned from the best on how to build trust. You've been able to do it in seven seconds. You've been able to create a, a mindset shift, get people to think uh, in, a, in a more kind of curious way and, and lean them into a call, which is a complete opposite of what normally happens on a cold call when people are trying to jump off as much as possible. And you've, you know, you've given three reasons, like this three-headed monster, there's three reasons why they should want to engage on, on the next level as well. This is, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a sales rep or if I'm prospecting of any kind, then I'm listening to this and paying attention, thinking, well, how do I replicate that for my product? How do I replicate that for for my meetings? And so I think you've you've added a ton of value. Um, I know flight schools are a passion for you. You know, you love teaching this stuff. But the question I got, and, and I know you alluded to this, how do we how can we have more calls? Because picking up the phone is it we're still reliant on other people on the other end to pick it up. So how do you do that? Like give us, give us the, give us the 30, is it 36,000 feet view now? I don't know what cruising altitude is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, we're in business at connect and sell. We're in business to help sales reps talk to a lot more people. How many more generally maybe eight to 10 times as many. Um, I got to talk to a guy last night who is using our product for the very, very first time. And <clears throat> he was super skeptical super skeptical. He's an Israeli guy. He's in his forties. He really, he really knows uh, sales really deeply. And he said, this stuff's not going to work. I mean, how can I, I'm not going to talk to 10 times more people. And I met him at this party last night where that was kind of the purpose of the party. And he said, you know what? I realized that when you can push a button and talk to somebody, everything changes. Cause now it's about you. Are you any good? Yeah. And he said, I'm pretty good. Mm. I don't know how good I am. I said, I've listened to a bunch of your conversations. You're okay. Yeah. He said, you listen to my conversations. And I said, I listen to everybody's conversations, you know, like Santa Claus, but worse. (laughs) And it, it, and you're, you're good. Right. So that's what we do is we help people have a lot of conversations, but in general, we find ourselves amplifying suck Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of suck out there. It's okay because we all kind of suck in an ambush call because it's a specialty thing. It's like, if I said, so Dan, you have two hands and eyes and a brain. How about a little heart surgery on Mary over there? Yeah. Here's a scalpel. <laughs> You'd suck. I mean, I don't know if you would or not, but I'm having a feeling that, you know, it's not the sight of blood that it gets you. It's the fear that you're going to screw this up, right? Well, yeah, yeah, if we, don't practice <laughs> we need to be taught things that are important and, and yeah. exacting, right? And the cold call is very exacting. It's like surgery. Mm-hmm. So... I, I believe what we do with SDRs, by the way, is we just say, hey, here's an operating room. There's some patients. Uh, here's a scalpel. Go get them, boys. Yeah. Right. And, oh, oh, by the way. Uh, oh, ugh. yeah. I'll come back later. Right. It's like that. And 
so first you have to have lots of conversations. We provide that. It's a technology we've been doing it for 17 years. I think we do about $200,000 a day. We, we connect about 3.3 million conversations a year, mostly with very high level people. So if you want to try it, it's free for a day. We call it an intensive test drive. It reminds me very much of the time I was thrown into a, not thrown, I physically got into it, a Ferrari 455 and took it out on a Formula One track. And it's like, oh, I thought I was a driver. Oh, I thought I was a sales guy. Yeah, got it. I wasn't a driver. I've been driving since I was, well, let's say 16. It was probably 14 out in the desert. Did I know what to do in turn one? I did not. I had to have somebody yell at me. But after about you know four laps, yeah. it started to slow down as I sped up and the times came down. And I started to feel like, oh, yeah, I kind of get this one. You know, you, you break until your leg's going to fall off here and then you aim at that point and then you hope you don't spin out. Yeah. So that's what the whole world of cold calling is that hard, but that learnable. But you got to have the repetitions. Yes. I couldn't have learned to drive that car on one lap or one turn. So your number one problem is just getting conversations. Then you have to be under pressure. If you're not under pressure, your voice works differently. When you are under pressure, your voice is completely <clears> different. <throat> That's why salespeople sound so, so terrible. Is they're under pressure and they go to a sing-songy voice or a happy voice or a whatever voice, right? Yeah. You've got to be able to find the voice that works for each part of that call. And you're going to change your voice five times in those five sentences. Five voice changes. These are like wardrobe changes, you know? It's like in the middle of scene one, in Mrs. Doubtfire, if anybody's <laughs> ever seen that, there's the oh, yeah. going back and forth to change the clothes. Worth seeing on the stage sometime in London, by the way. So, you know, you're you're changing your, your outfit five times in five sentences. You've got to get good and smooth at that. It mm -hmm. takes practice. It takes coaching. It takes repetitions. And it takes being under pressure. Yeah. You need to have a script. You're going to go surfing on a, like a, a kitchen door, you know, Oh, Hey Dan, I want to teach you to surf first. Here's a board. Come back after you've carved that in a surfboard. What's a surfboard. Oh, don't worry. It's kind of obvious. That's not true. <laughs> Scripts are not obvious. Making up your own script is like carving your own surfboard. You're out of your mind. Yeah. You got to use the, the, the hundreds of years of experience that are out there. Let somebody else make your surfboard. Mm. Let them make your script. You're going to be the, the athlete, the artist who's on it with your voice. So the, this is all like, this is why we do flight school. We give it away, by the way. We're doing it for some big companies right now. If they're using Connect and Sell and they're big, we'll give it away. And if so if you want to try, anybody's listening and wants to try it, go to our website, connectandsell.com, sign up for the free thing. We won't give you a demo. We do not demo our product. You use it in anger and you will realize that you're more afraid of it than you think. And Amazing. then it becomes fun. Yeah. And then we do kind of a step-by-step, -step, you know? Right. So some people do flight school, whatever they do, and that's it. And then if you're stupid and have a lot of time, in, you know, not stupid. If you're adventurous and you have a lot of time in your hands, go listen to my podcast. Corey Frank and I hold forth, I think we did episode 180 yesterday on just one topic, how to dominate markets by paving them with trust using the human voice and harvesting that trust over the next 12 quarters. That's it. I don't know why it took 180 episodes. Who knows? Yeah, we get, we get there eventually.
little bit of iteration. But like you say, you've got to have the reps, and this is especially you know true. Like you said, you can't learn to drive one lap, and then two weeks later you do another lap, and then three weeks later you do another lap. It's going to take you forever to get anywhere. So I think the intensity piece is great. But Chris will definitely put a uh, a link into the Connect and Sell website, and, and people can find out more about it there. I, I love what you've done, like taking taking this this like you say the power of conversation and knowing how to elegantly use words intentionally how to use voice in a way that commands attention and gets people to go on an emotional journey i love all of that and i think you're a true artist and, and professional with it so um appreciate all your time and, and insight today and i hope you yeah look at the look out the window the planes are still flying and it, the sun is still shining out there and you have a good rest of the day over in, in, in san Francisco. It's fantastic. I'm going to go get on one of those planes. I'm a very brave guy. Thanks, Dan. This is great. <laughs> Pleasure, Chris. You know what I think, Ron? I think that was a sales call. Good job, buddy. So you're going to buy a subscription? No, I already get the times. Bye-bye.